It's the weekly variety hour, ish, with your host, McLateral. Hey everyone, it is I, your host, McLateral, aka McLateral FF, on the Twitter. I'm very excited to be with you guys. Already did an awesome show with Thor Nystrom from NBC Sports Edge. You guys should definitely go check that out. But after this show, because tonight we have some awesome guests, we have Angelo from Angelo Analysis. We got Bob Harris from Football Diehards, from Sirius XM Fantasy. The man is a legend. I probably don't even need to introduce him, but it's the job, so I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so we'll, I was going to have an opening monologue, and then the whole Cole Beasley news broke. My partner in crime, Herms, uh, my friend and colleague and co-founder here at The Lateral, really the thing was even his idea, to be honest. He's down with that second shot right now, a little under the weather. So unfortunately, he's not going to be joining us tonight. So no surprise at the end, unfortunately. But I just want to say, get your shot. It'll be good for you. Trust me. And like, I actually work for a biotech company that works with some companies that develop some of these vaccines. I am not an expert, but if you... Anyone here who is listening to this has any questions, any hesitancy about the vaccine at all, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I will talk to you with respect, with dignity, answer any questions you have, not judge you on your decision, but all I want is to help you out because I think it's really important that everyone gets this shot. Um, and so the whole Cole Beasley thing really just made me think that it was important to just say like, the goal is to make sure no one is dying from this thing anymore. So however, we got to go about that, you know, maybe it'll take longer to convince some people that this vaccine's a good idea. Maybe some people can be convinced right away. Luckily with the CDC announcing that it's going to be safe to walk around without masks on indoors and outdoors, people maybe will feel a little more incentivized to go ahead and get that vaccine because that is really what makes it safe. It is safe if you have the vaccine. It is not safe if you don't. Um, but anyway, at this point, I'm sure I'm rambling. But again, if you have any questions at all, please reach out to me on Twitter. I am happy to help. But on to the football and on to my first guest, who is the one, the only, Angelo from Angelo Fantasy. Dude, how is it going? It's going great, man. You know, it's finally starting to get warm out here in Chicago. You know, we 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 did the right thing, traded up to get Justin Fields too. I'm a big Bears fan, so I could not be doing much better. Well, that is good, and I have to say it. I don't think it's ever been a better time, or it hasn't been this good of a time to be a Bears fan in a while. I mean, Agreed. Justin Fields. Is it possible that Justin Fields already is the best quarterback that your franchise has ever had? Yeah, I think I don't think it's. <laughs> It's kind of funny because he hasn't even played an NFL snap yet, but I mean, literally the, the choice is him or Jay Cutler. So, I mean, it's really not, you're not no, really, no, no love for McMahon, no love for sexy Rexy. Jim McMahon. I mean, that was Walter Payton, Otis Wilson, the defense, you know, fridge, like fridge, a fridge Perry. Um, uh, man, there's a lot of legendary characters on that whole entire team too, but yeah, I mean, man, I mean, it finally feels really good to get a legitimate, like, blue chip type talent at the quarterback position in Chicago. I mean, we were hoping for Russell Wilson for a while. 
Um, and I, like many, were a little upset when we settled for Andy Dalton. I didn't think I, I didn't think Ryan Pace um, and that brass were gonna, you know, trade up and be aggressive, and but they did. So I'm hey, I'm happy with it. So we'll see how it goes. I think my favorite story that came out of that was the the Bears signed Andy Dalton because they knew the Seahawks liked him and that would make the trade easier. Hilarious. I heard that floating around the internet and I'm just like, look, if that's true and they know that, like all the more power to him, but I can't imagine that's the case. Well, talk about blue chip talent. We've got a blue chip talent in you here tonight and you know a thing or two about blue chip talent but because you are the creator of Angelo Analysis. It's a phenomenal player evaluation website focuses on NFL incoming rookies for the most part. You don't delve really into the vets, correct? Not as much. Um, I, I tend to focus a lot of, I guess, my time and energy and my content on, you know, who's coming into the NFL. Um, and I'm a big, big fantasy football fan too. So I, I try to put a fancy spin on it as well. And we're talking about, you know, dynasty rookie rankings. I, I, I did a draft guide, did, did the Ascension draft guide, um, got that out there a couple weeks ago. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun doing it. So uh, I'm looking forward to keeping it going. Awesome. Awesome. Well, how'd you get your start in fantasy football? Oh man. In fantasy football, I guess I was, why was I 16 years old? So a little while ago, um, my buddies and I are all big football fans and we want to do a lead together. So we did, it was IDP scoring. It was like half point PPR, um, one QB and my team was awful. Like, this is the only league I've ever had where I took last. Like, my team was literally – my team could not be – I took Reggie Bush in the first round. It was my first ever – ever my first ever face pick was Reggie Bush. I think it was rookie Reggie Bush, too. Oh, wow. So, a little – probably a little bit of a reach then, going with the rookie Oh, a lot of it Reggie Bush. My best receiver yeah. was Johnny Knox. That's who my best receiver was. You I might remember. Been, you might have been better off with Johnny Knoxville, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. I mean – it was, I mean, it's fun to look back and laugh on it, but man, like that was, it was pretty, it was a pretty fun start to my fantasy career, I should say. But it, I, I like to say it went a little bit more uphill um, from there. But yeah, that's how I, that's how I got my start is just getting my ass kicked essentially in my first ever fantasy league. And you got your start playing IDP. That's really interesting. I don't think we've actually had someone with that being their first I've never experience. played it since, actually, which is funny. I've How did it feel getting it. thrown into the deep end like that? Oh, it was terrible. I mean, it was funny because, like, I didn't know much about fans football at all when I was 16. I watched a ton of like, I watched a ton of NFL games. Like, I didn't know, like, I picked my favorite players. Like, I literally, like, I picked the guys I liked and couldn't be more wrong. Um the second year I did a little better, I think. I think we moved like the sixth place. Um, but yeah, man, it it was thrown in the absolute deep end. Not you, we can't even, you know, now we have like if you threw me in a best ball league when I was 16, I could, you know, you could float a little bit more. But straight up in IDP, man, it was it was tough, man. My 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 friends are some total sharks too with that stuff too. So <laughs> it, <laughs> it had no mercy. No, not at all, man. I got made fun of for years. Still do, you know. I still get made fun of for the Reggie Bush pick to this day. Well, hopefully you weren't quite as thrown into the deep end when it came to creating fancy content. So when it comes to that, how'd you get your start? Was like player evaluation like the first thing, like your first love, and you just kept running with it, or did you start somewhere else and then decide to move into that? 
That's a great question. So for me, I, play, player evaluation is kind of my first love, I would say, because that's a lot of what I do on a day-to-day basis. So I work in sport and human performance, as you probably know. Um, but for me, like my day-to-day is being really hands-on with athletes and practitioners and just being able to see high-level athletes move up close and help them solve problems. So for me in my career, like I evaluate talent on a day-to-day basis. You know, For me, I slow down film, take still shots, and analyze different aspects of human locomotion. Um, and I'm a total nerd with all this. And I also use data to kind of help me make decisions um, for my own athletes um, to basically say, hey, this is where we're at at this point in the year. This is how kind of our force velocity profile looks. Um, this we need to kind of increase, decrease, put in training, take out, um, things of that nature. So for me, a lot of my own career is combining film and data, which is kind of funny because um, that's what I tried to do on the website as much as I can and in fantasy football. Um, but yeah, I, I originally just started on Twitter, just created an account um, and just put my put my thoughts on um, NFL pros- prospects. I think my first one I've ever did was um, why David Montgomery. Um, and it was before he ended up being a Chicago Bear. But um, but right after he came out um, of Iowa State and then Miles Sanders at Penn State and then a couple other guys, Josh Jacobs, obviously, in that class, um, Daryl Henderson. And so I, I started focusing on those four guys first, and then uh, I kind of branched out from there. Well, that goes a long way as to explaining why you are so good at it. You have that Gladwellian uh, 10,000 hours, clearly, with it being your day job and your passion here with your fantasy analysis. Um, do you have any advice for new content creators, you know, as someone who has done objectively a very good job with it so far? Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the biggest thing I tell people all the time is just, just find something you really like and you're passionate about and just find a lane. I mean, this is a, this is a very, this is a narrow, but broad field. There's a lot of things you can do in fantasy football. There's a lot of different, you know, variations in terms of, you know, formats, um, things of that nature. But for me, I think the biggest thing I can tell people is just find a lane. If you really want to do this as, as a, as a hobby passion um, or potential, you know, employment opportunity one day, um, find a lane, stick to it, create your own niche, and then just kind of go from there and just, and just try to be great at whatever you do. I mean, for me personally, like I just try to be myself and, and do that the best of, you know, the best I can every single day. So, um, that's what I kind of encourage everybody to do is just, just be yourself and, and just provide something unique for people to kind of see and lean on. Makes a ton of sense. I think it's great advice. I would say something that a lot of people in the industry will tell you is definitely to find your lane, find your brand, find what you're good. And more importantly, find what you're passionate about, right? Because if you're just good at it, but you have zero passion for it, it's not going to work out. Yep. Now let's get into what you're passionate about, which is the analysis. So I saw on your website, you have the Ascension grading system. I'm assuming a proprietary grading system for you. How did you develop that? How'd you land on your key metrics? Man. So for me, I landed on the metrics based on like things I thought I can the, of the overarching skill set of both receivers and running backs. And that's what I really focused and honed in on. So like things that they do really well. So like, for example, like Travis Etienne's a top shelf accelerator. So he, he gets, you know, he gets bonus points essentially for being a top shelf accelerator. So the way I did it is I did it essentially um, 70% film, 30% analytics. Um, the system itself uses bonuses for elite metrics and traits. So like, like I said, Travis ETM being an elite level accelerator, accelerator in my opinion. Um, so he gets instead of a five out of five, that's what the grading system is out of, it's out of five. He gets a seven and a half out of five. He gets a, he gets a bonus for it. 
Okay. Um, and so that's how it works because for me, my goal is to always magnify the traits that the NFL is going to magnify when they see these players. Like what are these players, what do these guys do that's going to keep them on the field, you know, consistently to score us fantasy points for, for four or five plus years, especially at the running back position, but for receivers, you know, guys like Jamar chase, I mean, this guy's going to be scoring points for us for a decade. So looking at what he does and how the NFL team can potentially view him and how we should view him in terms of uh, the fantasy outlook that he has. And then analytically, um, same thing. If a prospect has elite, you know, elite level analytic metrics, those are graded the same as the film metrics in terms of bonuses. So for example, you know, you have a guy like Jamar chase, like Rondell Moore is a great example in terms of breakout age. I mean, he's, he's one of the earliest breakouts we've, we've had, especially, sure. especially in the big 10, you know, performing how he did against elite level competition at Ohio state, you know, when they had those good corners and those, and those great defensive backs there. Um, and him kind of taking over that game. That, that's kind of one of the most fun watches I've ever had is watching him take over that Ohio State game when he was a freshman. Um, but that's how that's kind of how the AGS kind of works. And then it, it's basically just a combination of film review and data data analysis to just kind of help mitigate risk. And then just essentially just recognize a prospect's career potential. Um, that's kind of how I use it. And then it's kind of tier-based in terms of grading. So is this player a gold jacket caliber prospect or is he an above average NFL starter? Um, recognizing that um, and seeing, you know, where these guys land as well is, is really important for me to kind of look at and um, and kind of give them a grade based on all those factors. No, I saw that. I actually, I like that a lot because it's like a comp, but not a comp. You're not saying like this player is going to be like player X, but you're going to say like, yes. I think this player has the talents to be this style, this level, this caliber of player. Right. Um, how'd you land on the 70, 30 split between film and stats? That, that was something that I was curious about. Yeah. So what I did is I did, so I, I graded 10 metrics for film. Then I, then I graded five for analytics. So for me personally, I am much more well-versed in, in film and watching that. That's kind of me. I'm a visual learner. Um, I'll, I've used data in my day job a ton to make decisions. Um, but I don't use those as kind of my tiebreaker, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So it's basically a two third, one third split, the 10 versus the five out Bingo. of 15. And then you just gave the edge a little to the film. Cause you know, this is what I'm better at. Yeah. This is what I trust more. Exactly. All makes sense. Um, th- speaking of things you trusted in your analysis, is there anything that you've updated as you've gone through it over the years, anything where you were like, wow, I was really wrong on this or I really missed this and then changed it as you uh, set up your AGS. Yeah. I think the biggest thing honestly was, how I used um, data and how, okay. I, you know, I, I think for me, um, originally it was mostly just film, just mostly how I saw things, gotcha. my eyes. Um, but as I got deeper and deeper into my own career, as well as deeper, deeper in the, the fantasy football space, I realized how important using both of those things is, you know, to basically just to mitigate risk. And that's kind of how I used it. So like there's, there's certain prospects that, on film, like I just don't like them very much at all. Mm-hmm. But data wise, analytically, they it, it backs up that these guys are pretty good prospects. So I have to kind of go back and take a look and see, hey, did I miss anything here? Um, and then if those guys get draft capital as well, like what did that NFL team see in that prospect and what kind of role will they play at the NFL level uh, to kind of help them succeed um, with consistency? 
So, yeah. So actually speaking of like how players are selected by the NFL, how do you select a player to create a player profile, a Y player X as it were? It's a great question. So normally how I do it is I tend to kind of take, I would say the 10 or 15 most, I would say the prospects that kind of get the best draft capital, like that we're projecting to get the best draft capital. Um, Like this year, I mean, my first one was Najee Harris. For me, he was a first round back. Sure. Travis Etienne, first round back. And then um, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, um, so on and so forth. Um, There are a couple of guys that I I totally whiffed on in terms of draft capital. And I, Tylen Wallace is one of them. I'm a huge Tylen Wallace fan. I think he's a really good player, but the injury red flags are, are, are much brighter than we we originally thought well and i think they mattered more this year the vibe Agreed. i get from a lot of people in the space a lot of analysts a lot of people with way more inside information than me is that red flags were going to matter more this year right if you were they injured did. that was going to be a bigger negative if you opted out that was going to be a bigger negative like all if there was any reason they couldn't get x amount of tape or data on you compared to this guy they were going to take the other guy with the exceptions being like guys who are just generational talents. Like Kyle Pitts was never falling. Even if he had opted out, Jamar chase did opt out. And as we saw, he was never really falling, you know, and if anything, his, his prospects honestly rose, which is kind of remarkable. Yeah. Um, So was there anyone who really impressed you this year when doing your profiles? I know you said that like Tylen Wallace, you, felt like you kind of whipped on just because you right. dropped so much but was there someone where you did the profile on me were like oh wow i should have been higher on this guy i think the one was probably Devonte smith i think in okay. terms of being a pure nfl football player i mean he fits the mold of what the nfl is becoming at the receiver position in terms of intellect you know how he moves his fluidity um, just his advanced conceptual understanding of the game of football is just so evident when you watch him play. And even watching him play last year, you know, like I watched him play a ton. I'm like, this kid is really good. When I watched him play this year, I'm like, this kid has a chance to be potentially a special football player because of the advanced level conceptual and cognitive skill set that he has is really far above any player that I've seen coming out of college. And that means, you know, that means a lot in terms of the game of football, how it is played now in comparison to how it's how it was played like 15 years ago. Man, 15 years ago, Devontae Smith's not even a third round pick, in my opinion, because of how the game is played, very X receiver dominant game. Um, now, I mean, Devontae Smith's movement Z, who moves around all over the place, is he's involved on all three levels of the field um, and makes plays everywhere. So for me, he was kind of the biggest one that I saw that I was like, okay, this kid is a lot better than I thought he was. And I could care less about his size. Yeah. I I, I would say like Devonta Smith, good at football, big facts. Like it turns out maybe he won a Heisman (laughs) for a reason. Uh, Real quick, last question, then we'll bring Bob on here. Was there anyone who really disappointed you? I know you were disappointed in what happened draft wise with um wallace but was there anyone who you watched and you went oh man i really thought this guy was going to be better oh man i think i'll i'll go to prong the one guy i thought was gonna get much better capital than he did was tamari on terry okay you were not the first person to say i i last i mean at this at this time last year i mean he was the bolitnikov preseason watch list candidate 
and he was projected to be a top 45 pick. Yeah, I was yeah. all in I on tape. I'm like, this guy is, you know, he has the size. He has the raw athletic talent. He has the top end speed, the accelerative qualities. He's tough as nails. He special teams player too. He's a gunner. And you I'm, feel like he'd have been definitely on the top of some people. He drafted, and that's the. I mean, the red flags I think were the injuries. Injuries were a big red flag for for Terry. I think too. There was character concerns apparently as well. Yeah, and then he didn't produce much at all this year because you know he opted out post injury, and then that all happened. But I would say the one I was surprised I didn't I didn't like a, a lot was Travis Etienne. Interesting. I thought, I thought I was going to like, cause I mean, he was a mega producer, right? I mean, he's yeah. one of the most productive yeah. running backs. You could say the past decade. There's a reason he was picked at 25. Well, the real reason was because Kadarius Tony wasn't available. That's actually true. There were other reasons. According to Urban well. Meyer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, he's one of those prospects. Like when I watched him on film, I'm like, that's it. And that, that's kind of how I felt about him because there wasn't much else besides the elite level accelerative qualities. And those can take you a long way in the right sure. offense. But there's a lot of gaps that he has to kind of fill in his game from a, a cognitive perspective. I don't think he's a good decision maker in comparison to some of his peers. Um, I don't think he's a clean pass catcher. I think he's getting better. He reminds me a lot of Miles Sanders. They're that's kind of comps and better comps to have all the same that, time. Yeah, and that's kind of how I like. I like I like ETN. I think he can be. I've I have yeah. on AGS as a Pro Bowl caliber back, but I just have a ton of questions on how he's going to fill those gaps in his game because they're all predicated off his ability to to accelerate. Like in terms of him, you know, making things happen behind the line of scrimmage, you don't see that very often from him. Uh, he has a very limited lateral toolbox. Um, and like I said, he's he's a good pass catcher because he's a really good after the catch guy. Not much in terms of you know a route tree at the running back position. In terms of like like Najee Harris runs a full route tree for the running back position. You know he could you can split in the slot too. You can put him out wide like Alabama did in Sarkeesian's offense, and he can kind of make plays there too. Um, but it's kind of one of those interesting things. Is is he going to struggle in some areas? I think he may. Um, but he, he's also one of those backs where it's, you know, him having James Robinson might be a good thing for his career. I think he needs a, and in terms of like real football, I think he's a back that needs a committee mate. Um, and I think James Robinson's a really good NFL player. I don't think he's clearly, he's not as talented as Travis Etienne is. And I think Etienne's ceiling is the, the sure. moon, but it's just being able to, you know, develop as, as a holistic football player and develop a more broad, like a broader skill set as a running back. I think that's the toughest thing is because analytically, man, he knocks it out of the park. I mean, he's the highest scored analytic back that I've had. And it was him and Jonathan Taylor were the two highest in the past three. Years. Good company. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot there. There's a lot to like, but he's just one of those players where analytically he's just absolute superstar, but on film, man, he, he very much is reminiscent of Miles Sanders in a sense where I want to love this dude. But there's a lot, there's a lot missing. It's, it's a, and that's a good and a bad thing. Because mm -hmm. if he fills those gaps, to me, man, he's he can be one of the best running backs in the NFL. Yeah. But it is a if he fills those gaps. We've seen with Miles Sanders too. He struggled a little. Miles Sanders hasn't really filled them. Yeah. I mean, the the, the you know the decision making concerns are still there. Um, 
you know, the, the cognitive, the, the clock at the second level hasn't really advanced much. He's gotten worse as a receiver, like in terms of drops and the fumble rate's still higher. So the question marks are still there for Sanders and how much opportunity is Miles Sanders going to get to be a 70 plus percent touch guy in Philadelphia anymore with, with Gainwell coming in with carry on Johnson and Jordan Howard's a little more crowded than it was last year. Um, but with Etienne, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him play, man. I think he can definitely flourish. Um, but the question is when and how patient are we going to be? Well, let's see how patient our next guest is going to be the one, the only Bob Harris. How's it going, Bob? Going fantastic. How's it going guys? Great. Going you're great. getting schooled up by Angelo. What could be better? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like, let's talk about some rookies. Well, who would be really good to talk about some rookies? Oh, Angelo, the guy who literally breaks down rookies as like the thing he does. So, but I'm curious as to your thoughts, Bob, how are you feeling about Travis Etienne and that landing spot in Jacksonville? Uh, you know, so, I mean, without getting into all the grinding in the film, because sure. guys like Angelo do, do this fantastic. I'm looking for landing spots. So I'm looking for clear paths to workload. He does not have that. But I do think he'll see enough, you know, see the kind of usage we want. I think they'll still rely on Jake Robson. But it just kind of moves them both down the rankings a little further than I'd like to see him. I mean, you look at the guy that Angelo talked about, Najee Harris, a better receiver, I think, than people give him credit for. I think I the would Steelers agree. will use him more in that role. But, I mean, you know, you look at the landing spot, and, I mean, I just can't think of anything but Mike Tomlin going back to fast Willie Parker day saying, I'm going to run the wheels off him. That's what he's going to do. He's going to run the wheels off this guy. Hopefully the offensive line will be sufficient. Uh, Matt Canada coming in as a new offensive coordinator uh, might help out a little bit. I think they'll use more misdirection and things that'll that'll work in his favor. So I have, I'm pretty optimistic for Najee Harris, willing to overpay for that, not willing to overpay for Travis Etienne. I would agree on that. I uh, I did a mock recently where I took Najee in the second round and I felt good about it. Yeah, uh, me too. I've got the 102 in a dynasty league that i'm in where i did full trust the process mode i've just got a ton of rookies a ton of sophomores basically i was like if this person is over 27 i'm not drafting them <laughs> and i have the second worst record in the league you know but now i've got the 102 i built some quality guys some guys like cam Akers, justin herbert joe burrow all hit fairly well brandon Ayuk, lavisca chanel uh and so now it's like the guy who's got the 101 in my league he's like Oh, you know, Jamar Chase is generational. I don't see how I can pass on him. And I'm just like, if you let me take Najee Harris, I swear to God, I will be so happy because you want to talk about generational. Najee Harris is one of the best running back prospects I've seen in a long time. Right. And like if you're drafting in redrafts, you know, already in best balls, I just sit there and I'm, I'm looking and comparing him to, you know, you know, again, looking for the clear path to workload. I mean, kind of, you know, if you're in most of these drafts, if you see 17 running backs come off the first two rounds, uh, one of them is going to be not Najee Harris, and one Absolutely. of them should be because once you get past that 15 or so, you're talking about guys without that clear path to workload. That bothers me. Yeah, that no, totally. To totally get that. All right. Well, Bob, it's amazing to have you here. Of course, Bob, former Fantasy Sports Writers Association Writer of the Year, a Fantasy Sports Writers Association Hall of Famer, senior editor at Fantasy Football Diehards, which is at FF Diehards if you want to go find him on Twitter. And one of the hosts of the Sirius XM fantasy show Dude, it is such an honor to have you on. And I just got to ask, you know, with someone with your experience, someone who definitely had a different start to all of this than I think a lot of us here. How did you get started in playing fantasy sports? Well, first of all, kind of you to have me on and, uh, and been enjoying uh, the conversation today, Angelo. Thanks, man. 
Very smart. Love that stuff. And, and, you know, honestly, it, it's something he said is right about staying in your lanes. And, and so my lane has been playing fantasy football for, I think I started in 1986. A friend of mine, uh, I lived in Tucson. A friend of mine came back from San Diego and uh, to our small group of friends, he he walked in the door and said, I've got something you guys are going to love. He was not wrong. We did. We loved it. We started playing fantasy football. And about a week into playing fantasy football, I realized we don't have enough information to really play this right. You know, and so that kind of was something that was stuck in the back of my mind. I was a little bit of a graphic designer uh, back in the day. So I started making a little newsletter to turn into, you know, soon it was a 20 page newsletter for our league. And the next thing you know, I'm thinking, man, I should try. You know, I think I'm probably not alone in wishing I had more information. And so that was kind of, you know, the direction I started going in was how can I provide people who play? Because the one thing we know, once you play, you love this game, right? You love absolutely, and you want to play better. And so uh, I went to great lengths to help people play better, uh, probably much to my detriment early on. Uh, never good at making money, but great at creating content. And uh, and that still holds true. I'm great at making content, lousy at making money. No, I totally get that. I mean, like my personal journey, like I went from being a guy who was like, I'm going to look at the projections on draft day to being like, Okay, I'm going to maybe listen to some stuff like the month leading up. But like if I really like do anything before that, am I working hard or am I working smart? Because like how much stuff is really going to be solidified to now I'm like reading through Thor Nystrom's UDFA article like front to back. And I'm like, how was I not doing this before? Right. Right. Like, and I think that's, even for redraft. I do think that's something that we have in common, you know, fantasy players. Uh, you know, they're the people who sit on the toilet reading the back of the shampoo bottle, right? I mean, you always want to be consuming information. And and so, you know, that was a, one of my goals early on was I know these people are dying for information. I want to give it to them. And when I started, you know, the scoring was all done. USA Today, Monday morning was what how you scored your games, right? With a pencil and a paper and a USA Today. And I mean, I tried to take advantage and leverage those things. I created a 900 number where people could call on Sunday night and start listening and paying me to listen to by the minute to uh, box scores. I just sat there and read box scores, you know, and, uh, and, but, but honestly, you, you could tell how people were into it. Like, so I started calling teams and saying, Hey, uh, there were people calling, asking you for this kind of information. God, yes. And, uh, you know, they were already, were getting the people calling, you know, the media relations department looking for information on injuries and trying to gain that little bit of an edge. Uh, so, you know, this is not a new thing, this desire for information. It's been something there and it's kind of something I've, you know, relied on the last 30 years to keep me in cornflakes and whatnot. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting that you mentioned injuries. I think injury analysis is a big area of growth for the industry. Like if you look at the right people on fantasy Twitter, like they are even the fantasy industry as a whole, but like they'll tell you like, find a good fantasy doctor on twitter right see what they say about injuries it, it will definitely give you a leg up on some of these guys where what changes since you got started have you enjoyed and like where do you still see some room for growth um so look i think in the you know the way we play the games i mean you look at the when daily fantasy came along uh you know that was a, a big milestone i keep waiting for the time when we're, we're making in-game substitutions i mean i don't see why that's not coming the gps tracking of the players allows you to do a lot of things. I mean, that's how the players are paid. Your bonuses are figured out for snap count. I mean, everything can be figured out. And one of the things I think, you know, that was interesting about last season was how much uh, the world learned about COVID from the tracking and the data the NFL compiled because everyone's being tracked. We knew where everyone was. We knew their 
orientation to each other. We, we know all this information. So you look at like, you know, the next gen stats, things like that, you know, that, that come from this data. I think the next step is to, to be able to be an actual coach, make in-game substitutions, pull guys in, pull guys out, do things like that. I uh, would love to see some of that technology coming. Yeah, I, that's an in-game substitution in fantasy. That right, pull a guy that's sucking, you know, or you know, I mean, what do you do when someone gets hurt now? I mean, you know, you, you, I, I want to replace him, put somebody else in. Man, you maybe shouldn't have mentioned that one. You might be on to something there. That's no. like potential million dollar idea in the works. You, you got to talk to some coders, some app designers, someone like figure something out there because that is, I have not even heard that suggested that's before. That is truly intriguing. Uh, and something else that was intriguing that I read in my research for this was. The Bill Winkenbach article ah, that you did. Wink. Yeah. So what was the favorite thing you learned while writing that article? And for those who don't know, Bill Winkenbach is one of the guys credited with the start of fantasy football, if not fantasy sports in general. Yeah. I mean, honestly, he was doing something that's basically rotisserie baseball a couple of years before he was doing the football. Mm -hmm. uh, the football, they started in 1962. They were sitting around. They were bored. All the guys that started this uh, were associated in some way with the Oakland Raiders, whether they worked for the team itself or covered the team. They called it the Goffle, the Greater Oakland Professional Pigskin Prognosticators League. Um, <laughs> and there were some interesting guys in it. And I think the great part was talking to some of those guys after the fact, Andy Muslimus, uh, you know, had a really famous bar in the Oakland area, the King's X, and he was one of the original members. Bob Bloom, who was a Raiders play-by-play -play announcer, got, got sat, down, sat down for a couple hours with him and just talk about what the things they did and how they played and and just i think the the whole takeaway from this project uh, the thing that i loved about it and i had all their original documentation their typed out rules their handwritten drafts the original fantasy drafts all these things and uh was how much they how little i guess it would be the way to put it how little things changed like i started playing in 1986 these guys started playing in in 1962 we're playing now in 2021 we are the same people the people have not changed. The mindset has not changed. The issues and problems they had, uh, the things they wanted to do, the way they thought, it's all the same. I mean, it's just, and, and I, I kept thinking as I wrote that article, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Everyone everyone is kind of trying to get to the same spot and and we're still trying to get to that spot, but these guys were great innovators and, and thinking ahead. And there were some really fascinating guys involved, one of them being Ron Wolf, who you know, at the time had just signed on as a scout for the, the Raiders after being a water boy for the Colts. And he went on to have a pretty good career as a GM in Green Bay. And, and so just some interesting, some interesting stories and tales and, and just, uh, you know, drafting a guy who had died over the off season, you know, things like that, that, you know, remind you how much, how important the information is. And, and just, uh, it was a great time, great, great talking to them and just great learning about it. Right. I mean, you know, we all had kind of these uh, notions of how it kind of the fantasy sports and rotisserie sports uh, came about. And I think it was great to get back to the really the root of it. And, and uh, Bill Winkenbaugh was pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely learned some stuff from reading that article, some stuff that I certainly didn't know. Um, and you mentioned this, but like the game has changed so much and yet so many things remain the same. Is there anything specific that you took away from your research and your writing of that article that it's like this is still relevant today as much as it was then smack talk i mean that's the, the that's the <laughs> right? like that's the essence that's it. you know 
that was the thing. They, I mean, they were totally into that and I'm still totally into that. Everyone I know is into that. Hell, I have a career based on that for the most part. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I think that, that was the thing. How much we're all, we're all very much the same and, and you get involved in this game, you know, this hobby that we have. And I mean, we just, we take it way more seriously than we should. We put way more time into it than we should. And, uh, and I love every minute of it and I have no regrets about any of it. I mean, I've spent the better part of 30 years or, you know, more. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's been a, it's been a big part of my life. And, 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 and honestly, I mean, I was doing this, you know, when I started making it a business in 1993 and, and for years I was making no money at this. I was just, you know, it was costing me money. Hell, if I do this another 20 years, I might break even. I don't care. I don't care. I'm doing this. This is like, you know, that, and that's, I think that's a, I think you see that theme as a predominant theme among people, both playing and doing this. I mean, look, we all want to make a living, get by, and do all those things that I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but not much. Nope. No, I, I totally agree for me. It's like, I just want to beat my friends. If I win some money, cool. But like I won a work league, two years ago and it was great being able to like lord that over literally two of my bosses um of course they did not love it when i then subsequently got the first pick in our draft somehow the following year on top of the championship win um but it was okay because i then proceeded not to defend my title but i digress so one of the other things in my research that i caught was your desire to catch the waiver wire a week in advance and i thought this was incredibly interesting because it was something that I personally picked up on reading uh, David Gonos's future waiver wire pieces that he does for the athletic. I got an athletic subscription this past year and I saw those articles come up and I'm like, this is crazy. This guy is like trying to make his bets on like, no, 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 no. This is week like 10. You need to be picking up guys for week 12 because right. week 11, there's going to be someone that snipes you on that guy. And like in week 12, you're trusting your waiver priority or you're trusting your fab. So what is your strategy for getting those picks right? Landing on those guys a week or two in advance? Um, uh, being very hopeful, right? So, I mean, you've been, do you've been doing this a while. So, uh, you know, a lot of this is, is way simple. You know, like Angelo is there playing chess. I'm here playing checkers a lot of times, but there's, there's no, there's room for both of these things, right? Like, so <clears throat> I always, Marcus Grant, my friend at NFL Network, loves this when I say this, but, you know, the key to fantasy success as you go into season is, number one, not drafting last year's best team, right? And that sounds like incredibly stupidly simple because it is, but it's also really important. And it's also important to, to be thinking ahead. I'm in like, you know, I'll be, I play close to 30 leagues every year, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I have to prioritize, you know, where I focus my waiver attention because I also have a job and uh creating content and doing all these things it's really time intensive labor intensive and you're you know you're putting a lot of effort into it so you, you're not able to you know and i often make excuses like oh I'm, you know my job is not winning fantasy titles it's helping other people win fantasy titles well damn it i still want to win so if i want to do that i have to play a little ahead on the waiver wire because i'm not going to be the first guy in line i'm not going to be there on tuesday morning at 0600 uh, you know, or whatever, whatever time things start. So I'm trying to play a week or two ahead. So you're just looking at the way the games are developing, the teams are developing, schemes are developing. You're looking for talent that maybe, you know, and sometimes you're planting flags on guys that, you know, you're going to have some misses. 
but it's worth it to put that effort in. So uh, most of it is like knowing coaches, knowing their histories, their tendencies, uh, understanding what the scheme is, who fits the scheme, who's getting an opportunity, what they did with an opportunity. A lot of it's intuitive, right? Like, like a lot of what we do is. And so you're playing your best hunches, but I think it's critical. So you're looking at bye weeks ahead of time, right? So you know when your players are going to be off, you're looking at injuries. And, you know, as soon as you see someone, like as soon as I see someone hurt in a game, I'm like looking to get in a waiver claim and get everything set up to, you know, for the next guy. But I mean, that's what it is, uh, you know, playing ahead. And I don't know if there's an exact science to it because there's not a lot of exact science to any of this. But a lot of it is intuitive and you just get used to what, you know, I so since I've started doing this, one of the things that I think is the key thing to watch is is the coaches. You're talking about a league where every week everything changes, right? The game plan changes, the opponent changes, the scheme adjusts, and all these things are adjusted to that. You're traveling some weeks, you're not traveling. A coach wants to keep everything as consistent as possible, right? And so coaches go about that in various ways, or they handle that, or they manage that in various ways. Understanding how they handle and manage it, getting a good handle and a good understanding of that can help you go a long way and not just succeeding in you know, predicting maybe when free agents are going to come out, but also in, you know, understanding how, you know, maybe game scripts are going to play out a little bit as well. Yeah, I think that's all great advice and certainly covered my next question was, are there any other strategies that you think give you an edge in how you play? But like checking on coaches, definitely a big one. Following game scripts, definitely a big one. I think this all totally makes sense. Um, All right. Well, you guys want to get into some rookie talk, maybe do a little, do a little group work. So Angelo, as the film guy, I'm going to start with you here. What rookies have stood out to you as you've done more and more research since the draft? Man, um, I think Elijah Moore is definitely one of those. I think he's going to have a – I think he might be end up being the wide receiver one in that offense come year's end. I think he's a really good fit for what they're doing in, in that Shanahan-type system. I think they need a player like him who can, who can play multiple roles in an offense – um, cause right now, I mean, it's, you know, it's wide open, you know, there's not a guy in that offense. I don't think Corey Davis is that guy. Um, but I'm a big fan of Elijah Moore. I think he's one of them. I think at the running back position, it's gotta be Trey Sermon. I mean, we're looking well, at a guy that in, is a Niners fan. In, in, in oh. 2022, there's not much competition whatsoever. Um, no. so Every, he might, everyone, yeah. but Elijah Mitchell is gone. Exactly. Everyone. So he's he has a good chance of seeing, you know, 75% touch share in a very run friendly scheme. So I'm really excited for, for those two guys in particular. Uh, I, you stole my Elijah more than I love the Jets. So I'll just pivot a little bit and, and go with Michael Carter there as well. Uh, you to know, confirm the running back, not the safety. Yeah. Right? The running back, not the safety. <laughs> um, and you know, so you guy coming off a couple thousand yard seasons, like splitting with Javante Williams, yeah. uh, but, but I think he and Elijah Moore both kind of bring about the thing. We could look at what they did on the offensive line and what they've done on the offensive line, right, uh, with, with Elijah Vera Tucker coming in. So that's great news, moving, great in, next to, moving in next to Mekhi Becton. But you look at the, you know, the pieces there, Kevin Coleman, LaMichael, P. Ryan, and Josh, Ad. Josh Adams. <laughs> I mean, the rest of it is not – none of it is very inspiring, right? I mean, Kevin Coleman was pretty inspiring in 2016, less so now. Would and you so believe you look, me, by the way, if I told you that Josh Adams was the highest paid running back on the Jets? Yeah, I would. That's, that's wow. um, absolutely but, insane. But if you look at Carter, here's a guy that had like what? Uh, 
maybe you know that so like 23 plays of 20 yards plus mm-hmm. last season i mean he's an explosive mm-hmm. threat so that i like that i like the trey Sermon pick as well by the way um my good friend who i pay a lot of attention to matt Waldman at the rookie scouting portfolio has him as his number one back also i don't watch a lot of film and number one i mean and matt has you know an interesting track record with some of these had nick chubb ranked ahead of saquon barkley coming out that year as well and so you know, mm. I'm not. I'm not sure he's wrong on that one. I'm not sure either. So it just, I'll let that be my hot take. Right. Just, it's just. I think he's always got his interesting, his own look at things. So, but Trey Sermon, the thing that caught me about that was, I don't watch a lot of college football because I work up on the NFL, right? So I'm paying attention to the NFL. But I caught a couple of Ohio State games. Every time I look at that game, I mean, aside from looking at Justin Fields, I'm going, who is this guy? Uh, and it, maybe it was just two really good games, but he just looked like he had all the pieces that he's kind of, I think, scheme independent. I think he can play in in a variety of schemes, and I think he landed in a good scheme, obviously. So I'm with you guys on that one. And uh, and if I'm trying to come up with a wide receiver, I like Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, I think he might be the best the sun receiver on, Lion, on the Lions yeah. right now. But more importantly, he's a kneecap rider. And uh, <laughs> that is something you must be to excel on this lineup. Uh, I got to tell you, that Lions team, if everything goes right, is going to be fun at a certain point. Not yeah. necessarily in 2021, because remember, Jared Goff's still the quarterback. Jared Goff and fun, I'm not sure if those are things that are ever going to quite go together. But you got DeAndre Swift. You got the coach, who is an absolute nutcase in the best possible way. You got Amon Ross St. Brown, the sun god who is honestly like one of my favorite landing spots for a wide receiver in this draft, him going to Detroit, where there is no reason he can't be the wide receiver one on that team. Right. Like none at all. Uh, they, Hawkinson, like there's, there's talent there. It's going to be a rough year at least for them. But if we come back in like two, three years and like Detroit's one of the funner teams to watch in the NFL it won't shock me at all. Best post-game um, press conferences. Also, I mean, you know, don't overlook the the impact Anthony Glenn's going to have there. Very successful offensive coordinator, running backs coach. I mean, you go back over the course of his history as an assistant, whether it's position coach, offensive coordinator, running backs tend to excel under him. So exciting yeah. there for DeAndre Swift. Deuce Staley yeah. also there as assistant head coach. So I like a lot of those things. I wanted to ask uh, uh, Angelo about a guy, though, uh, Terrace Marshall. I think Ooh. is a good landing spot as well. I'm looking at last yes. year's finishes. You know, there were three Carolina receivers finished as in the top 36, right? So all viable starters. I think I think Sam Darnold could be an upgraded quarterback. I don't know that he will. And if he's not, David Tepper will fix that at some point. Because according to David Tepper, he's not here to be eight and eight. And I don't think he is, right? You no, can make all that money that. and then spend it all to be, yeah. you know, to be regular. Right. So I, I just think the guy had a good landing spot there and maybe someone that that's worth keeping an eye on. Angelo, do you agree? I 100% agree. I, I have Darius Marshall on AGS by wide receiver four. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's one of those guys where I'm trying to get him everywhere at value. I mean, he's fallen the mid-second round in some rookie drafts. I mean, if you're in a startup draft, you're going to be able to get him a lot later than you would have about a month ago. So yeah, I hope you're right about the I talent right is there. That. The talent is there. I mean, the only thing you kind of worry about is the medicals. But where you're drafting him, are you really worried about any of that? Like, it's not like you're spending a first round rookie pick on him anymore. Um, and if you're in a startup draft, I mean, where are you drafting him? 
Like, you know what I mean? You're drafting him probably past the 10th round. So it's like, you're not really, you know, just you're banking on the upside. And I think the guy's a Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver. And I think he has a lot of really unique traits that fits well in that offense. They need a secondary target because DJ Moore is one of the budding stars in the the NFL, I believe. But I think Marshall is going to be a fantastic NFL wide receiver. And I'm trying to get every share of him possible, especially where he's sitting right now, ADP wise. Yeah. I, I love that. I like Marshall a lot. Um, he's a guy whose versatility I really like, cause he is physically more of a perimeter guy, but he's got that experience in the slot from his like college performances. And I think that Brady and rule will not hesitate to move him around. Yeah, I, and I agree. That opens him up to a lot of opportunity. If he is just like, not that they'll be like for like, but if he just goes into where Curtis Samuel left off, like it's not going to shock me. Yeah, in terms of production, I think. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think he can be, you know, the the second receiver in that offense. I think Robbie Anderson is a nice tertiary piece in any in any NFL offense, but I, I don't think he he has the talent that Terrace Marshall possesses. Wait a minute now. I'll brook no Robbie Anderson slander, sir. So uh, Here's the one thing I, I would warn you about on Robbie Anderson. Um, the guy that Matt Rule is going to defend before anyone on that roster it's is gonna Robbie be, Anderson. I know, Temple guy. I know, I know. That's, I that's a, a little bit of a connection. Well, a connection. That's a Temple guy well. myself. I stand for both of them. I was from the Al Golden years personally, but okay. uh, like, yeah, no, I, I think, I think, Everyone's kind of leaping to this conclusion that Robbie Anderson might be gone after this year because they got Terrace Marshall, and it's like, why not both? I'm, like, I'm more I think about Joe Brady like, being gone than anybody else being gone after a year. But oh yeah, well yeah, that head coach job, I think, um, if uh, yeah, they I do think, well is not far. I think he's it. yeah, I think Brady's uh, an NFL head coach at this time next year. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't shock me at all. No, all right. Yeah. Speaking of some shocks, though, was there anyone you soured on the more you looked into him? And, Bob, I'll start with you, and then I'll let Angelo finish up with all the research he's done. You know, I mean, my whatever souring I have is landing spots. So everybody who is a wide receiver drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. Three <laughs> oh, don't, don't do it for Tyler Wallace, though. Come on. Now. Right. I mean, well, I mean, just, you know, I mean, look, maybe they're about to have a great menonoia and make this total seed change. Uh, Greg Roman's history says probably not, but, yeah. but, and the talent, I mean, look, you know, uh, might they not be the team with the, the fewest routes run? Maybe might they be the, not the last in uh, receiving yards? Maybe, uh, but they're not going to be that much better. So uh, I'm sorry, Rashad Bateman. You know, I just don't, I don't like the landing spot for those guys. And in, in the running back, I would have loved, I would have loved to seen uh, Javante Williams go somewhere with an immediate clear path to work. Sure. I do think a year from now, yes. you know, you're going to be very happy. I'm investing in them. I'm, you know, in every dynasty I can, but realizing it's going to take probably a year. And, but I think beyond that, once you, and, and look, it's not entirely certain that Melvin Gordon sticks around this year, right? If, if things are going, you know, I mean, you know, in a good direction for Williams, that would be great if it happens. So, uh, but, you know, thinking that a team like Denver that doesn't have a great quarterback, it hasn't a coach yet. like Vic Fangio who have a great that. quarterback yet. Right. An old defense. <laughs> yeah. An old defensive coordinator though, is the head coach. 
sure. who's going to want to run the ball and play defense to the degree he possibly can. I think that'd be great. And of course, Aaron Rodgers would change all this. But as we all know, Aaron Rodgers is going nowhere. Oh, oh, that's interesting that you say that. Why are you so positive that Rodgers isn't going anywhere? Uh, you know, emotions are funny things. Uh, you know, number one, owing $30 million if you leave. He has it. But I mean, even if you have it, it's a lot of money, right? Just to walk away from. I just, I, I think, yeah. I think they'll get things on the same page. It's funny, you know, depending on who you listen to. I know Devontae Adams seems like not as optimistic as other people, but people I think that talk to Rodgers a lot, his friends, former teammates, uh, I think they're basically speaking for him because otherwise they wouldn't be speaking at all, right? So when you True. hear John Kuhn and you hear James Jones sitting there on my NFL network telling me all these things that, well, I don't know. Well, yes, he does. He does know this for sure because he's been told, you know, I mean, he's talking to Aaron Rodgers, so he knows. So I'm just ex I'm just expecting things to cool down. I think the Packers, you know, this is a team that maybe if they did have a traditional owner, this would already be cleared up. You know, a guy who could come sure. in and say, hey, Gutenkos, get out of here, you know, or whatever. I mean, whatever it takes. It, it just, uh, you know, I think, the, but I think they'll get this figured out. Um, you know, minor concerns in the back of my mind are David Dunn, who has, um, worked the system before for Carson Palmer to get him out of Cincinnati and moved on. So, I mean, you know, there, there's things to look at in the other direction, but honestly, I think, you know, if I'm sitting here, I'm 90, 10, Aaron okay. Rodgers is green Bay Packer week one uh, next year under the starting quarterback for that team. Well, Packers fans surely hope that you are correct. I am less optimistic myself, especially because they don't have that traditional owner that can go there and stop the ship from sinking. Uh, Angelo real quick, First, your thoughts on Rodgers. Where is he going to be playing? Man. And then who's a guy you like soured on a bit post-draft? So I'm a big Bears fan. So I would love to see him out of Green Bay and out of the NFC North. But I think, like Bob said, man, it's I think he's a Packer at the end of the day. I think he's thrown to Devontae Adams, and, he, you know, he's going to be the captain of that ship for the foreseeable future. Um, totally fair. Yeah, I don't think it's going to change. Um, the Broncos are a destination I, I – I would watch, but I doubt that. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, his I mean, girl I, lives in Boulder. I think that's what's working in their favor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's going to change much. And your second question was someone I soured on yes. post draft. I guess there's a the only one of the only first rounders that I just a Kadarius Tony. Someone I just never really. I don't think f from a fantasy football perspective. He's going to be a, you know, consistent producer. I think, you know, when you talk about analytically, man, red flags galore. But when you look at what his role will be, he'll kind of play the Joker role in the NFL offense. He's going to play kind of that Tariq Cohen type of an NFL offense, which is okay. You know, what I mean? you want like, from your wide receiver. Yeah. So it's like really, it's really interesting of what he'll do. I think he can develop into an NFL slot receiver. He has extremely interesting movement capabilities, but I don't know how he translates into the current NFL climate in terms of being a productive fantasy wide receiver. So I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. So he was one I'm, I never really liked him to begin with. I have him pretty yeah. low on AGS, but. I like his qualities, but I just don't see how he can be a consistently productive NFL wide receiver, especially because, you know, Daniel Jones throwing the football too. Okay, Galladay is there. It's just not a great environment ecosystem um, for, I think, multiple fancy producers, especially when you have a lot of mouths to feed there. 
I would agree. And actually, I'm going to kind of transition into this question here because you're bringing up Tony, you're bringing up the mouths to feed. And Bob, I want to get your input on this too. We'll start with Angelo though. Does this end Darius Slayton's fantasy relevance, this draft pick that just happened? Mm. Yes. I think the biggest thing that ends his fantasy relevance though is how the Giants were set at Devontae Smith at 11. That tells you everything you need to know about yep. what they think of Slayton. I think they were so set on Devontae Smith at 11 that they play the same role. They're, they're the Z of an <laughs> offense. Galladay's an X. They, you know, they'll rotate their slot receivers. I, I do not see how it's not, you know, the, the writing's on the wall for him um, in terms of producing. They brought in John Ross, too. That's another yeah. one. That's an interesting ad. That's an I, interesting one. I don't think he'll be fantasy viable, but he will probably impact Slayton's um, target share. Yeah. yeah. Also his snap count. So that's an interesting one. I just don't see Slayton as fantasy viable in New York. Um, bless you. I don't. I don't know if I don't think Daniel Jones can support Barkley, Ingram, Gaude, and you know. It's Shepard, Shepard, yeah, you, you you know what I mean. So the the mouse, it's getting thin there. So yeah, I would agree. I don't know, man. I, I like Slayton as a player. I I really do, but I think the writing was definitely on the wall when Gettleman was basically pounding the table for Devontae Smith at eleven, and the Eagles kind of swooped in and took him. Yeah, I mean, uh, that makes a lot of sense, Bob. Your thoughts? The, the good news here is they have a great offensive, innovative offensive mind. And oh wait, no, they don't. Damn, <laughs> they do not. Damn. Um, so. So, right. I, I mean, look, I have, I was kind of, you know, I might not have been the engineer of the uh, hype train for Daniel Jones last year, but I was the conductor. I was yeah. taking tickets and handing them out. Um, and, and so often as fantasy managers, we're a year ahead, right? So I don't necessarily think that, you know, he's going to be great guns and make a, you know, that kind of leap up into, you know, fantasy starter relevance. But man, you look at what he did last year. He's fairly mobile, more mobile. Can't run all the way to the end zone, but he's he can run. Um, there were six games where he led the team in rushing, right? They've surrounded him with weapons. Look, the onus is on him this year to do yes. something. I think he will do something, whether that's you know enough to make him fantasy relevant, maybe enough to make some of the top higher end uh weapons there fantasy relevant as well. I mean, Kenny Galladay, they're paying, they're he's gonna get his. And so, but I think beyond that, you're probably taking your chances. Barkley, Galladay. And then you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit. And I think, you know, guys like Slayton are going to be afterthoughts. Yep. It makes a ton of sense. All right. What I want to do now is Bob, we'll start with you and then we'll go to Angelo. What are your top three rookie sleepers? This can be for redraft or dynasty though. If you pick all dynasty, I am going to ask you for at least one redraft sleeper. Uh, I want to say Des Fitzgerald just because of the landing spot or just Look, is is he better than Josh? You tell me, Angelo. Is he better than Josh Reynolds? Um, he has more potential. I think the talent there. <laughs> it's just I, it's in that offense. It's so tough because Corey Davis is. I liked Corey Davis as a receiver. Like him, I should say. I don't know in terms of. There's a lot of targets there. I think that's yeah. The there's the, right? see that's the thing is like AJ Brown's not going to get 200 targets, so it's like right. you know someone else has to has to jump in. But I mean, with that talent though, you it know, might there, be if you know if he develops, I think he can be a a good secondary option in that offense. I think he's a really nice sleeper. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's the thing too, and I think the other guy that I'm kind of watching 
that I think has like a future. Maybe it's not a this year thing, but Josh Palmer yeah. Yeah, for the Chargers. Uh, you know, you wonder how long we're going to see uh, Mike Williams there. I don't know, maybe another year. And then maybe. beyond that, you know, there's a handful of guys there that have kind of flashed at moments, but playing with Justin Herbert and a thoroughly revamped offensive line that is just locked and loaded uh, to keep Herbert uh, in, in good shape. I think that's, I think he might be a good play there. And I guess, you know, I want to go, I want to say <laughs> Davis Mills. I mean, you know, just, Opportunity I, th- no, ma- I, I opportunity think that counts. Right. Yeah. So uh, that would be one that, there as well. And, and look, if he was the starter sometime this season, I wouldn't be totally shocked. If he's the week one starter next year, I will be totally unsurprised. Interesting. So you don't think that Houston, let's say they're awful this year, which wouldn't surprise <laughs> anyone. Um, they don't draft a QB because they now have Davis Mills. We'll find out. I mean, honestly, well, uh, you know, sure. I, I know it's really far out. I'm just, I'm, I'm right. Like you know, I don't know ass. what exactly is their draft capital last year. I mean, what kind I think of shape? this next year, they finally have their picks back. They're in better shape, but, uh, but uh, honestly, they're going to have so many holes that I just yeah. wonder if, if just landing mills now, I mean, look, we heard talk. I mean, plenty of people mocked him going in the first round. Some to the Patriots. I know Peter Schrager or not Patriots, the Buccaneers, Patriots junior, uh, the Buccaneers, uh, had you know him going at 32 uh, and maybe sit around and learn with Tom Brady. So I think that there are people within the league who view him as that kind of guy who maybe you know just not a lot to hang his hat on because of the injuries in college, but all the rest of the pieces are there. Okay, well, we didn't really get a running back from you, so I want a redraft running back sleeper from you, Bob. Well, because the Gordian knot of backfields is always hard to untie. Sure. You never know what's going to happen. I'm going to go with the Patriots and Ramondre, Ramondre Stevenson. Um, I don't, you know, I think he catches the ball. He's, I think he's better than he gets credit for, right? I mean, he's more well-rounded. Uh, and it's just that in that offense, who knows what's going to happen? I don't know that Sony Michelle is going to stick around. He doesn't play special right. teams. So I think that helps Stevenson out a little bit there. Uh, James White's always going to be there. But we'll see what happens with Damian Harris. I think he's going to be the lead guy. But it, it would not take much attrition to get Stevenson in the lock and load role. So he would be my off-the-chart sleeper uh, at running back. Bob, I got to agree with RF Fantasy here. I love it. You're not even the first expert I have interviewed today that has said how much they love Ramondre Stevenson. And I think that says a lot. That is a name that people need to be circling on the board, as it were, because Bob says it. I talked to well, Thor earlier. Thor says it. Angelo, are you going to make it three experts out of three here? Loving some Ramondre Stevenson? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is what's going on. What's going to go on in that backfield right there? I mean, Sonny Michelle is kind of sour. I think he's on the way out of you know New England. Um, Damian Harris is Damian Harris. He's, he's a good player, but has he ever really fully taken the reins of that backfield in two years? And the answer is no. Ronda Stevenson has a really good opportunity in front of him. He's a really interesting prospect in what he does at his size. Um, but yeah, that's a team in terms of, we're talking about a really good rushing ecosystems. That's a tier one rushing ecosystem in the NFL. These like, the New, England, New England Patriots want to run the ball, run the ball a lot. They brought in two tight ends. They virtually don't have anybody of value outside at receiver, unless you're talking about Nelson Aguilar. They want to run the ball, run the ball a lot. And I think um, I think Roger Stevens is a really interesting one. My three, all right, let's are going to start with. We talked about this pre-show. Is 
Javion Hawkins. I, Love I, it. I, I, for me, man, I think for for me, I liked him a ton. I, I'm pretty high in AGS as a as a prospect that has a really high ceiling, pretty low floor. But man, like he's a kid that reminds me a lot of Philip Lindsay. He has he's a really good accelerator, really good at top end speed, tougher than he looks in terms of stature and size. His pass catching capabilities are kind of a question mark. But it, Mike Davis is like, how long is he going to hold on to that job? Um, and is there Mike Davis a, is a very good just a he, guy. He, he is like is. a slight really step above. Is. He deserves ever so slight respect on his name. He does. But that's about it. He does. But the Not thing is, like, is that. Mike Davis going to carry 80% of that touch? No. He's going to carry 80% no. of those games. 60 is like what probably, I'm so The thing is, there's a lot of touches that go around in that backfield. And well, almost I, all of them. Exactly. So <laughs> it's like there, there's a ton of stuff. There's a ton of touches to go around. There's a, there's a lot of receptions, a lot of rushes. So I think Hawkins could play his way into some significant playing time. And if he does, if he takes the reins of that backfield, the talent lines up with that. And then yeah. my second guy is an interesting guy that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, but Amari Rogers. Like interesting. Because okay. with the Aaron Rodgers news, people aren't talking about Amari Rodgers. Like people are like, okay, True. Aaron Rodgers, they're kind of considering, hey, Rogers, Aaron Rodgers might be out of town. What if he's not? Amari Rodgers plays the Randall Cobb role. He's a good, tough football player. He reminds me a little bit of Golden Tate. Can work right around the line of scrimmage. He's a reliable pass catcher. Who can run? A, you can. He can run routes down the field. He works most, mostly on the first and second level of the defense. He's what Aaron Rodgers wanted last year. He wanted, you know, he wanted them to trade up and dig Justin Jefferson. He was like, okay, didn't do that. We had Lavisca Chenault on the board. Passed on him for Jordan Love. We finally get as close to getting my boy Brandon Ayuk, and luckily yep. they didn't because yep. I love that man. Yep, he's a beast. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of targets to go around that offense. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers is to stay, yes, this is going to be Aaron Rodgers' football team and his offense. What he wants to do, it's going to be more pass heavy, I think, than we're used to, which is a good thing, um, and good for the NFL, I think, too. Does that so, mean Jake is coming back? Oh my God. I, that, that story, that article, I was dying. Cause I'm like, he loved Jake. Kumaro was supposed to be the second receiver in that offense. And you, and when you watch Kumaro play, he had a clear connection with Rogers. Yeah. And the, the kid played the brand of football that Rogers liked. He's reliable. He's tough, physical football player who had really good hands. That's it. He was in the right. He was always in the right spots. So Touchdown, Jesus! I love that. That he, I mean, the thing is, I mean, man, I mean, the fact that they they literally couldn't like, how do you not hang on to a guy like that? But yeah, especially after like the letting oh, him go man. the day after Aaron Rodgers, the day up. after. I mean, by the way, I apologize to Des Patrick for calling him Fitzgerald, but I think I was projecting good things for him, Larry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love. It. I will say, Angelo. I don't know. This guy's a little bit deeper cuts, but I was talking to Thor Nystrom earlier sure, about sure. him. Bailey Gaither, he's an okay. undrafted free agent that Green Bay picked up. And Amari Rogers is a little bit more in the shorter range as far okay. as his skill set is kind of the vibe that I'm getting. And Gaither is kind of a guy that can be the deep threat. So I'm wondering, any thoughts there? Is this a guy that had been on maybe your radar at all? Like, curious. Heard the name, but I haven't dove into his tape a lot. Um, Thor's a really smart dude. So anything yeah. Thor will say, I'm going to trust him. 
So um, I, I would, I would, I would recommend. I would love yeah, to actually see you. But do some I want to, I want to take a look at. I've heard his name, but I think for me, is MVS the deep threat? No, come no. on. There, there is going to be that third level catch threat. Ball half the time. The, the, yeah, the third level threat in that offense is going to open up. I think yeah. someone's going to take that job. If it's Gaither, I don't know. It could be. Okay. Um, but you still my, like Rodgers regardless. I do, regardless. I think All he's right. going to be a steal this year if, if Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay, which I think he will. My last guy, Jacob Harris, the the Rams wide receiver slash tight end yes. they drafted. He was one of the most athletic players in the whole draft. Ran the best three cone, I think, at the, at the receiver position, I believe, this year. Um He's a really interesting height, weight, size, speed guy. Um, and I don't know how long Higby has as being the primary pass-catching target at tight end in that offense. I think they're looking for more. I think they're looking to push the ball down the field this year, especially with the addition of Matthew Stafford. And I think Harris kind of helps them do that. And I think he's, especially in tight end premium, you might get this guy for free. So yeah. it's real. It's worth. It's worth the flyer. He's a fourth round pick. Like no, it's that's got, a great one. It's not like he's a. You know, this is not a UDFA or, or seventh rounder. But you know, Jacob Harris was like he was a fourth round pick. It was. You know, I just look 100, 140 and overall pick. So it's like very noticeably missing a tight end, right? Yeah, like Gerald Everett is gone. gone. Yeah, and so I think, but the way they, I think they want to do things. Um, with that offense, and they want to push the ball down the field with Matthew Stafford. I think it makes sense to look at this guy because he has fourth-round draft capital. This is not a seventh-rounder. It's not a UDFA we're talking about. This is a guy that McVay said, hmm, Let's I, like, I like this guy. Let's go, let's go get him in the fourth round. I didn't have Still looking for Jordan Reed. Still looking for that. Oh, stop. Unfortunately, I, mean, I, I think I was Jordan a Reed is still looking for Jordan, Jordan Reed. Reed fan. Man, it just didn't work out. Just, just, just didn't, just didn't work out that way. But yeah, yeah I'm excited yeah. for Harris and and what he can potentially do um, in a kind of a revamped Rams offense. I love, I love the pick a lot. That's definitely a deeper cut. Exactly what I'm looking for here. All right, we're going to do a new game now. Let's rate the player. We're talking 2021 redraft specifically, and we're talking PPR. Basically, tell me how you think this player will do in 2021. And then are they someone you're going to target in your redraft leagues? So the first one, a very contentious guy, Joe Mixon, running back for the Bengals, of course. Bob, what are your thoughts on Joe Mixon for 2021? Uh, one of the last guys on that clear path to workload bandwagon that I like to ride on. I'll, I'll jump in. I, you know, I like to talk right now. I mean, Joe Bernard's obviously gone. I'd like to see them use the receiving skills that he has that they have kind of ignored up to this point. I think he's, I'll be investing, you know, again, in the running back frenzy that is the first two rounds of every draft I've been in, he's probably going to have to go in that round, in that second round. And you're comfortable with that ADP? I'm not comfortable, but I'm, I'm buying. Okay. That's, that's, that's a good enough answer on that one. I would say, Angelo, your thoughts on mixing, you agreeing with Bob here? Yeah, hundred percent. I think for me, I'm trying to get mixing everywhere I can especially in redraft because it's a big value guy. I mean, he's going to be, exactly. he's going to be someone who's what's he going to get 80% of the touch share or more. 
I mean, the coach literally said we yeah. want him on the field for all three downs. All three downs. And he it's in this sending offense, too. This offense is only going to get better with the weapons that are around Joe Burrow. The offensive line is going to be a year more mature, and they're, they're you know, they're going to get some pieces back. I'm all in on Joe Mixon. I think, you know, we're talking about a guy who could be a top five running back this year. I mean, that that's the yeah. that's the ceiling for Mixon. I mean, if he's RB3. Or is any of us really shocked? RB four. Dave Montgomery was RB four last year. Remember that? You know, I, I'll admit, that, I'm still a little the, shocked by that. And that, and that's actually after his I think, first year. I think everybody is, but um, I think Mixon's in for a really good season if he can stay healthy. But I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. opportunities up. The offenses, you know, the offenses they're sending. I mean, we're looking at a guy who's has a really, really big season ahead of him if he can stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, I had a tweet I think like about a month ago at this point. It's like, here's your flow chart for drafting Joe Mixon. Do you believe he will be healthy? Yes, then you should probably draft him. No, well, then you probably shouldn't. That's about as deep as it gets for me. It's just yeah. like everything is there. If you don't think he'll go down again with an injury, then there's no reason to pass on him unless you know you got like a top five pick and you can get someone like Alvin Kamara or you know Christian right. McCaffrey, someone like that, where it's like, yes, we get it. You should be taking this person ahead of Joe Mixon. Sure. Someone that is going to go a little bit later in drafts, though, Curtis Samuel. Angelo, going to start with you. What are your thoughts on Curtis Samuel for 2021? New offense, old coach though. Yeah. And a new quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I like Curtis Samuel, man. I, I don't know how everybody else kind of feels about him, but for me, I think, you know, depending on where you can draft him, but I mean, if he's my wide receiver four, receiver three in some okay. cases, okay. I, I wouldn't be mad about that because he also, you know, he's going to get deep targets too. He's going to, operate on the line of scrimmage, but that offense is going to throw, throw, throw with Fitzpatrick at the helm, I believe. So, um, yeah, I think he's an, inter- he's an interesting player because he had, a, he had a good amount of success in Carolina last year too. Um, you know, there, there were spurts when he was averaging, you know, like 14, 15 points a game. Like he, he played really well in stretches. So I think we can see that a little more consistently in, in Washington, but, um, you know, he's a tough one to peg because, Obviously, McLaurin's going to eat up a big portion of that offense. Sure. You know, Diami Brown isn't a slouch either. Um, Logan Thomas is there. But if Samuel's second in targets on that team, are we shocked? No. Um, and I think that's a, you know, I think they're going to throw a little more than they did last year because they can. Last year, they really, <laughs> what, what are you going to do? Taylor Hinkie and, you know, Alex they, Smith. They have a starter, fine. Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, they have, they have a capable starter back there. Um, I think he opens up that whole offense for Gibson and company, too. Bob, what about you? You in on Curtis Samuel? I'm in on Curtis Samuel as a player, uh, not as in on Scott Turner as the play caller who didn't make great use of him in Carolina when he had an opportunity to make good use of him. Claims he's seen the light thanks to Joe Brady. So maybe he has it. And look, I find where he's going, you know, his current price tag, I've seen him going anywhere from, you know, like round seven to round 10. Um, I'm fine with any, pretty much anywhere in that range. I, I don't think it's crazy. Uh, the later I get them, the better. I'm usually looking for the cheaper components when I'm looking, you know, and I'm not like if I miss out on Terry McLaurin, I'm fine getting the cheaper component there, right? I don't think Terry McLaurin's poorly priced, but I think Samuel's really fairly priced. Yeah. Okay. So we're we're thinking here a like fringe wide receiver three, wide receiver four. Yep. Somewhere in that territory. Yep. Yep. All right. Now you got to pick one of these guys. This one's slightly different, throwing you a curveball here. Who are you going to draft? Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk? Bob, starting with you. I'm going to draft Brandon Ayuk. Uh, number one, I trust him to be on the field more. And number two, he, so he seems like the high end, the big play threat. I mean, Debo Samuel is the more physical, you know, short area 
you know, get the ball in his hands, let him do some damage with his physical abilities. And I think that's all well and good. I'd just rather have Ayuk because he will leap over entire piles of people. Yeah, I mean, I genuinely, I think, watch that hurdle at least twice a week. Um, it's possibly my most used GIF on anything, social media. Like, I love Brandon Ayuk. I was very, I will have to say, I was visibly upset when we didn't draft Jared Judy, Jerry Judy and drafted Brandon Ayuk instead. And I've never been more wrong or more happy to be wrong. It, I love the guy. They knew what they were doing. Trust in John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. From here on out, as far as I'm concerned, Angelo, do you have the correct answer as well? Are you taking Brandon Ayuk? Oh, 100%. I, th I think he's one of the – he could be one of the best receivers in the NFL one day. I mean, he has a, he's a lot of room to grow, super raw talent. But, I mean, as Bob said, I mean, the talent's there. I mean, he can be the number one option in that offense because no one can stay healthy there too. You know, we're looking at Samuel. We're also – we're looking at, yeah, Hurd, Kittle, like the backs, Moster, Wilson, like none of these guys can stay on the field. So, I I mean, I think there's no reason why. is If Ayuk leads that team in targets this year, are we surprised? I think if a little George bit. Kittle is healthy an entire right. season. That's, yes, a that, that's the question. But if, if he leads wide receivers in targets. Not no. surprised at all. I'm yes. not surprised. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, like, Kittle does, doesn't project to play a full season. But if Ayuk of, plays a full season, I mean, he's – Yeah. I, 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 I like Ayuk as a talent. Um, but, yeah, I would definitely take him over Debo Samuel for sure. Well, the good news is the Niners don't play two games in a row with the Meadowlands this year, so hopefully the injuries won't quite be so bad. Yep. Just wanted to double-check that now that the schedule's out. I mean, that was absolutely insane. Also, absolute insanity is trying to guess what Bruce Arians is going to do with his running back. Oh, boy. And Ronald Jones is one of those running backs. Angelo, how do you feel about Ronald Jones for 2021, and are you going to draft him? And more importantly, if you are, are you going to feel at all good about it? Oh man, uh, Bob, go ahead, bro. But I, I, I Bob, that's all you, brother. I'm gonna say it. no. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel good about. I mean, especially man. Yeah, Bernard. I mean, jeez, oh. that's gonna be tough. But Bob, you you go ahead, man. Right again, if you're looking for the cheap component, Gio Bernard's the guy. Just wait till yeah, you know, round 100%. twelve and get the guy who's gonna. You know, Tom Brady loves throwing that the ball. But look, I think they seem to like uh, Ronald Jones just fine right when he's healthy early in the season last year he got all the run Fournette was not a factor until Jones got beat up late in the season and granted he played really well Fournette in the postseason but um I think they're more in on Jones I I just did a draft today a rotowire uh, mock for their magazine and uh Fournette went a few rounds ahead of Jones yes um I think I'm I think I'm fine buying Jones as the cheaper half of that duo especially if it's cheap enough um, but ideally, I'm avoiding it like the plague or, yeah. or like the Texans' backfield, except I'm not. I'm all in on Philip Lindsay. Go! Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, two for the price of one oh, there. Out on Ronald Jones, the in on Philip Lindsay. I love it. I actually also love that you mentioned that you saw Fournette going ahead because I have done some mocks and some drafts recently, and Fournette noticeably has gone ahead of Ronald Jones. So that might be a trend to watch out on. Because if you can get him cheap enough, it might be right. silly to pass on him. Kind of like um, that one year that Derrick Henry just fell because nobody was like sure on him. They didn't know if those last couple games at the end of the season were fool's gold. And then you're just like going like, 
okay, I like I have to take this guy at this point, right? Like, what yeah. are we doing here? I think Ronald Jones could be one of those guys, and I'm so surprised that suddenly everyone's back in on Leonard Fournette again. That's yeah. honestly yeah. the real shot. Yeah. Barty Lenny, man. That's, you know, what do we remember? The last thing we saw. Hey, it's gonna be a. I mean, it's True. gonna be a strange backfield. I'm with Bob, man. It's uh, Gio Bernard's the one I would want because yeah. he's the one who's gonna protect Brady. I mean, that means a big deal. We look what we look at what James White did there. Right, the catch oh, rates yeah. were trouble for Jones and Fournette, just yeah. generally speaking, last yeah. year. So, I mean, I think that's that's a big key for me, and that's why Gio Bernard's there. Sorry, Keyshawn Vaughn, we hardly. Yeah, he's 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 bye bye. I mean, there's no. Arian said he expects a breakout year this year from Keyshawn Vaughn. And he I see no one from reason, me too, though, by the I, way. I, I see no reason why we can't trust Bruce Arians when he talks about running backs. Yeah. Ever. Um, okay. Someone who maybe we can trust, though, is Gabriel Davis. Later season semi-breakout. We saw some flashes. There was some excitement, especially a guy who did the most with his limited targets, I felt. Bob. Are you targeting Gabriel Davis? Do you think he'll have a good season? I have not. I mean, you know, I pro- it's not that I wouldn't. Right time, right place, right draft. Thought shares of him in best ball for sure. I think that's where he's an ideal play because you don't have to, you know, worry about the consistent production. Um, but I think the consistent, I mean, the locked-in connection, right, already for, you know, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, uh, Cole Beasley, assuming he's still around, <laughs> that he hasn't, like, uh, run himself off. Uh, Brandon Bean has problems with Cole Beasley, and he hasn't even said that. Um, well, that's interesting. Well, no, but I mean, you know, you, you, we heard Brandon Bean saying, "Well, if someone's not vaccinated, I, you know, if yeah. I'm making a roster decision." So, yeah. I don't think that'll actually come into play. I think Cole Beasley will be fine yeah. this year. But I think Dave, you know, Davis is a guy that I maybe people are going to overdraft a little bit based on the, you know, the flashes of excitement last year. I'm not going to overinvest in him. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this is. It's it's turning into a very interesting offense because you know your top three <clears> receivers are Emmanuel Sanders, Stephon Diggs, and Cole Beasley, and it's turning into a timing based offense with Josh Allen's ascent into one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. These guys are this is not the big physical wide receiver groups that we're used to seeing in the NFL, um, and Gabriel Davis might be the odd man out. You know he doesn't have he doesn't have super high draft capital. They're not super they're not tied to him long term. Um, I don't see if he sees anything more than situational touches. Um, I like him as a player. I liked him coming out, but I, I just don't see how he gets significant, um, significant target share in that offense. So are you guys then more sold on Emmanuel Sanders being a particularly used part of this offense? Because for me, I think there's perhaps a little bit of overhype on Emmanuel Sanders. And I think Gabe Davis has an opportunity to take over that John Brown went healthy role. And like, we could see John Brown still perform in Buffalo alongside Stefan Diggs, the brief moments where he was healthy. Again, they were brief. The sample size is small. We saw Gabe Davis pick up a little of that. I do get your guys concerns, but is part of that also because you're slightly in on Emmanuel Sanders in that offense? Uh, I am not. I mean, okay. I, you know, I mean, I like he's good. He's a good player, but savvy veteran. Um, my expectations are not high for him. I'm drafting the guys that I know uh, that I know are getting the workload. I mean, Davis could. I mean, I think there's other guys there that also could, right? That's I totally think, fair. I think, it, I, I think it was, you know, right place, right time for him last year. Maybe he established something. Maybe he didn't. 
Uh, is it something I want to invest in? Not until very late in drafts, if I do it at all. And again, best ball, I think he's a he's a he's a solid play because he does have a little affinity for the uh, end zone. Totally, totally fair. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think it's it's best ball is kind of the best place for him. Um, yes, I, I'm not sold on Emmanuel Sanders being a consistent contributor in that offense, but I think he'll probably see the field more okay. than Davis does. Um, okay, I, I just think it's he's a better option for Allen. I, I think what, what they're trying to do is surround him with consistent, reliable weapons. I think Davis has some growing to do. I think he showed flashes of being a really good player. But, yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's an interesting offense to see. But I think at X receiver next year, we're going to see – I think we're going to see them take a, take a player pretty early. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Around, yeah. last, uh, last wide receiver and last guy for player rating – Tyler Boyd, possibly mm. the odd man out or the value buy of the century. I think it's kind of one or the other. Angelo, your thoughts on Tyler Boyd. What are your expectations in 2021? And are you going to buy on what I think will be a pretty cheap asset? I think I'm I'm buying the – it's a pretty massive dip. Um, it's tough because it's, it's a very – obviously we have, you know, Chase and Higgins, and I think Chase is the alpha now. I, 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 I think, I think, yeah. I mean, they, you're not going to take a guy in the top five and and not target him. Um, Higgins is there too. I think he's a really good player. Um, Boyd is also a very good slot receiver. I think he's the safety blanket for Joe Burrow. They don't really have a tight end that fits that mold. So I think this could be a f- semi frustrating fancy offense for receivers. Um, but I think Tyler Boyd puts up maybe back end wide receiver three numbers. Um, I, I think that's in that's in the cards. Uh, I think in PPR especially, I think we're really looking at him. I think if we're if we're playing half point or standard, then I don't think you know you're not gonna if he scores more than four touchdowns. Are we? You know, I don't think really betting on the touchdown upside with Boyd, um, with how big of red zone presence is um, Higgins and Chase are. Yeah, Bob, what are your thoughts? I would agree with Angelo that it's definitely a guy who's better in PPR as opposed to standard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't touch um, him in standard, but yeah. I, I think he's going like, you know, mid-range wide receiver 329, uh, wide receiver 29 on calculator right yeah. now. So about a six-round play. Right. I think that's reasonable. Chase is going later. I'd probably be buying Chase at about, what, around, I think he's going at wide receiver 50 right now in redraft. Which is insane. Do you think that that honestly is what we should expect come august when uh, we'll redraft. see what happens uh no probably not i mean okay. it's probably more people are drafting and you know that just paying attention to draft capital and things like that also i mean we're you know we're, we're going to project you know that justin jefferson kind of emergence especially playing with the guy he played with at college you know so i think there's a lot of things to like about that so if he's the cheapest piece of that puzzle i'll be buying that piece. i'll probably be buying the cheapest piece of this offense you know that i can get uh, and I'm fine with Mixon in round two. I'll be fine with, uh, you know, Higgins is going a little earlier than I want to go right now because I, yeah. I'm I'm a little higher on Chase. But honestly, if, if, if it ends up Higgins being a cheap commodity, I'll be all over that. With the volume in that offense, and just it's a quick yes or no from you guys, is it impossible that Tyler Boyd is the Juju Smith-Schuster of that offense, which would be a wide receiver too? Mm, not impossible, but I don't. It depends on honestly if, if 
they have negative script in a lot of games, then we could see that. But I still am not. I'm not banking on it. Okay, yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on that. Uh, that quite that high numbers. But I look. I think he. I think it is in the range of possible outcomes, right? right? Like if we're looking at the broad spectrum, they're certainly not like a crazy. Like if it happened, I wouldn't be sitting here going, "Wow, that's the most shocking thing ever." But definitely still ceiling though at that point. I think so. Okay, that's. Uh, I don't disagree. I just think it's something to keep in mind, given that like we had a game where Joe Burrow threw the ball sixty times. Yeah, I, <laughs> that is I true. Think, I think. And he got hit forty-seven. Yeah, it's like that team is not going to be good next year. No. It might be weirdly competitive. It might like shock some people a little. But the defense is still going to be bad, I think. And that O-line is going to have some issues. And Joe Burrow is going to have to throw the ball a lot and possibly very quickly. And I think it's entirely feasible that he'll trust his boy, Jamar Chase. And then maybe the slot safety blanket and Tyler Boyd. And I would agree with Bob that it's like, yeah, get the cheapest piece of that high-octane offense you can. And most likely it'll be a great value. Speaking of some great values... Let's get into some redraft position sleepers. And I just want one guy per position. It can be a rookie. It can be a vet. Just literally anyone for redraft. And so we're going to start with QB. Bob, who you got? Why is Ryan Tannehill even a sleeper still? I mean, every I year. Don't get I don't know, like don't last, August, last August, I'm going, how is he going at quarterback 20? Right? Not, not, like, I get it. There's a lot of reasons for that, you know, the, the possibility of some regression. But, I mean, he's been, like, quarterback seven since he's – took over as a starter, right? Or, yeah. or higher. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he's the guy that I'm still drafting, you know, very late and enjoying. And I'm, what I'm doing is I'm drafting Aaron Rodgers, jumping up around, you know, going all in on that because I think he's going to be back and other people probably don't. And then I'll back that up. you got to mitigate the risk with that. And, and I think Ryan Tannehill is a fine way to do it. He's turned into a, a good player. And I think the uh, – I don't think the new offensive coordinator coming in there, Todd Downing, is going to – uh, forget, you know, I don't think we're going to abandon the scheme. They just need to find some new pieces. Totally makes sense. And yeah, like I have always felt Ryan Tannehill, well, over the past two years, rather, Ryan Tannehill wins you championships. He is an excellent sleeper QB. Angelo, I'm going to ask for someone different. That's my only thing here. If someone takes the first one, so you're going to get the first opportunity on running back, just pick someone different. That's all I ask. You can obviously still agree, though, with the other guy's pick. So who's your guy at QB? I'm going to stick with the Ryan, but Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, I love it. I, I think, man, I mean, at least has, for eight weeks, I love it. It's a ton of, it's a ton of weapons. I mean, I don't, like who, like the thing is like, who, who's going to succeed him immediately. That's fair. I, that, that's kind of, that's yeah. kind of our vibe, man. I hey, mean, if Heineke if, looks surprisingly spry in that playoff game <laughs> against the Bucks, he did. The Super Bowl. He did. I, see, I don't know, man. It's one of those situations where, I mean, if they would have traded up and gotten Lance or, or been sure. aggressive to go get fields when he fell. And yeah, I thought it was we, noticeable that they weren't. That's aggressive. that's what I'm saying too. I think they're banking on 2022 and and either you know free agency happening and or via trade. But I think in this, I think in 2021, Ryan Fitzpatrick's an absolute smash at, at where he's going in drafts. Love it. All right, running back. Who you got for your sleeper? Oh man, I, Rashad Penny. I, I, I interesting. I think that's an interesting one because I just, I mean, can one of them stay healthy? <laughs> that's what we're looking at. Is can I mean if it's not Carson, it's Penny. If it's not Penny, it's Carson. Yeah. But we haven't really seen him play a full year with a you know with a touch share of any kind. 
But when he's been on the field, he's looked good. Um, if the injuries are behind him, he could be a steal. Um, but he's kind of one of those guys I'm looking at. Um, another one is it's not a great one, but Zach Moss. Like, yeah, they didn't no. draft a back. Like I like that one more. They didn't draft Zach a Moss back. Is more likely to contribute. I think I think Penny's riskier. Yes. I think he could have a boom, but I think Zach Moss is more likely to return value. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I, thousand percent. Yeah, I think with Moss, you're gonna get he's gonna get the goal line work. I don't think that goes to Devin well, Singletary. Josh Allen is going to get the goal. That is also – you know what? Here's kind of my thought. I, I, so, I, I think there's there comes a point in time when you just have to protect your quarterback. I mean, you got to find a way to – you know you know what I mean. I mean, that's tough. But I this think – This is a team whose fan base is known for diving into that tables, is very, though. That is, that is true. Like eight to six total rushing touchdowns for yes. Allen and the combined. Yes. It's like wild. Insane. But, yeah, I, I think Moss is in, is – I guess a higher floor option there that I, I think will return value. By, by the way, I have to say someone along that Josh Allen quarterback used as the goal line back uh, that people should keep an eye on. I think particularly in redraft is Justin Herbert. I think will actually be oh, kind yeah. of used in that Let's situation. Well. Somebody's chest. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right, Bob running back who you got cannot be either of those two guys. Right. I, you know, all my Chris Carson shares are shaking their fists. <laughs> uh, so I'll go with Philip Lindsay because I, I mentioned him earlier, but I think he's the best back in Houston right now. All due respect to David Johnson, right? So, uh, and, and Mark Ingram, they're, you know, obviously they've done some great things. It just haven't seen it for a while from David Johnson. We see it every time Philip Lindsay steps on the field and nobody believes he can do it. Yeah, I, I love Philip Lindsay. We literally, before you hopped on in the green room before we started, spent probably three to five minutes talking about like Philip Lindsay is awesome and like uh, definitely like one of those undrafted free agent guys that popped. He's got 2,000 plus yard seasons already under his belt. Denver passed on him. It felt weird at the time. Still feels a little weird though now that they've got Javante Williams, much less weird. Yep. Uh, and yeah, I, that backfield is anyone's to take. Now, granted, I don't know if that coach is going to be any good. I don't know what kind of run system he's going to use. Like if he <clears> literally <throat> rotates them per play as opposed to like per series or based on like that franchise is so incompetent. Nothing would shock me. Right. You're hoping but that Tim Kelly gives a little continuity at the offense coordinator gets yeah. a little continuity in what they're doing. But but honestly, you know, I just can't see I can't see David Johnson carrying that offense. No. I'll I'll be happy if David Johnson stays healthy enough to get the shot to carry that offense. And I think that's a big boost for Lindsay as well, who I think had a nagging injury last year. And, yeah. you know, hopefully this year he'll have had the time to rehab that pesky turf toe and uh, be back on the field. Speaking of people on the field, <laughs> wide receivers, Bob, who you guys are wide receiver redrafts? Uh, by the way, I have a turf toe older than both of you combined. So I don't know that that's actually. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, well, now Lindsay's I'm nervous. All right. Um, <laughs> um so, like, you know, my easy answer is John Brown because, you know, there's two things you can't coach, size and speed. He has more of half of that than pretty much anyone else around, but he can never stay on the field. So, I mean, there's so many guys I like. I mean, I think Deshaun Jackson's a guy that nobody's drafting. If you're in playing best ball and you're in round 12, <clears throat> throw, a, throw a flyer out on Deshaun Jackson. I mean, there's a reason he's in Los Angeles. Uh, quarterback with a big arm, and uh, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that, and maybe Tutu Atwell can, well probably not. Tutu's an interesting one. It I've is. definitely heard some people speak highly of him. The question is like, 
Will right. he ever get enough production exactly. to be fantasy relevant? And I think even the people who are bullish on him are kind of leaning no, or at least we're going to have to wait and see. We'll see. Um, Angelo, who are we not necessarily going to have to wait and see, though? A sleeper you are confident on at wide receiver. Give me something. Darnell Mooney. I, I mean, I mean, I'm a Bears fan, and the amount of times I watched Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky just overthrow, underthrow. I mean, the kid's talented, and we very well might see Anthony Miller out of town. I was about to um, ask you that. I don't see him as a Chicago Bear. I know they're growing, they've grown frustrated with his, you know, lack of professionalism, maturity, um, and his inability to to understand um, and to understand Matt Nagy's offense and what his role is and being in the right place at the right time. Mooney from day one started, which was shocking, I think, to a lot of people because in COVID, this is, you know, there's no rookie minicamp, no OTAs. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who came in, worked his tail off to understand what's going on in the field and started from day one in, in, you know, in 12 personnel, which is crazy to me. And he looked great. He looked great during the season. There, you know, there's the clips of him, you know, getting the best of some of the better cornerbacks in the NFL, like Jalen Ramsey. Um, but I think it's going to be a really interesting target once Justin Fields is the starting quarterback. I don't think Justin Fields starts week one. I hope he does as a Bears yeah, fan. That's but fair. I, I, I could see them not starting him week one. But all right, call your shot. When do you see him starting him? Just give me a week. <sighs> Four. Ooh, that's early, but I like it. I think I you like have to. I, I don't think you can win games with you – can't, you can't win games with Dalton back there. Andy Dalton's already the winningest quarterback ever in Chicago Bears history. Bob, don't do it to me now. <laughs> don't do it to me now. That's, I love it. It's facts. The, the, oh, the man's speaking, it. though. The man's oh, speaking. That deserves the big facts button. That is that is big facts, though. That's, oh. that's real big. But yeah, you just don't know if he's going to be the red rifle, the redheaded stepchild from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you have no idea. But at least, I mean, Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, Dave Montgomery. Yeah. He has a good nucleus to work with. Yeah. But when Justin Fields starts, Darnell Mooney stock up because yeah. everybody stock up, I think. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, Allen Robinson is going to have a monster year. He can burn his quarterback proof card. Oh my God. Finally. I mean, the poor guy. I mean, I mean, he was my hope top eight wide receiver last year. Wow. With right. junk throwing to him. Yes. He is correct. so talented. I like, I, it keeps me up at night knowing that I will not get nearly enough Allen Robinson stock. In my yes. Life. That offense got so bad at one point. I mean, it was literally, all right. Play action, two things. Play action or to give Dave Montgomery the ball. That's what it was. That was literally it. I mean, and it was it was brutal. But now they actually have a competent quarterback. Um, I, I mean, Justin Fields is an all-pro caliber prospect. Um, I could not be happier as a Chicago Bears fan. Yeah, and I don't see a reason why you can't be happy. It's looking like a very solid team. They did a really good job. I think, I think Pace finally impressed some people. Yeah, impressed me. Um, Let's see. If I'm he surprised he got that second shot, but it happened. Yeah. I am him too, honestly. I thought they were done with him. Yeah. I thought well, I, I thought Riddick was gonna. I thought honestly for a minute Riddick was gonna be the. Look, the Khan got the same thing in Arizona. I mean, sometimes you get that second chance. Yeah. yeah. That's true. All right, let's see if he can't keep impressing me, Angelo. Tight end. Who's your sleeper? Oh man, does Adam Troutman count? 
Yes, I mean, it does. absolutely can. I, 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 I'm gonna say Adam. I like mm, I like him on Aiden too. He was actually my tight end one in last year's class because uh, he just he's a good football player, man. He's a he's a guy. He's a good route runner. He's a good blocker. It depends on who's throwing the football. I mean, if it's Jameis Winston and they're and they're airing that sucker out, yeah. I mean, shoot, there's a lot. Of, there's targets left over. I mean, who's the wide? Who's the second option in that offense besides Kamara? You don't know. So you know, you got Michael a, Thomas. You got Adam <laughs> Marquez. No. Yeah, there's really no, no one. Yeah, there. no. Troutman makes a ton of sense. Yeah, there's no Manuel Sanders. You know, I mean, yeah. are we banking on Traquan Smith? I mean, no. no. So it, there's a lot there, especially in the red zone. I mean, this is this is a team that if if Jameis Winston, the one thing I know is if Jameis Winston's on the field, they're going to score points. This is true, and this that is, and they're they're going to throw the ball, true. and they might make a ton of mistakes, but they're going to get red zone opportunities. So I think that's a big one for Adam Troutman. I think he's he has a chance to be a what if he's tight end six, tight end seven. Are we really that shocked? I'll be a yeah. little shocked by that. If he's I, tight end I 12, I'm a Bob here. I think tight end seven, I think for me with, I mean, with Troutman, I think the the landscapes, I mean, it's without the. So my concern four, would be if it's Taysom Hill, are we counting on the tight end to tight end connection? No. And then if it's James <laughs> Winston, he's not someone that historically targets the tight end a ton. I think Sean Payton will work. That's, that's my banking work. Though. But yep. Jameis is going to want to get a little frisky with it. Exactly. So for me, as much as I love Troutman, him passing some guys who I think are more talented, like Noah Fant, for example, who for me is someone that you're currently projecting to be that tight end. Where, six do, you, yeah, where do you have Fant? Do you have him around five? Anywhere in the six to eight range is where okay. I have him personally. Uh, an interesting tight end sleeper just came up in the comments. Bob, I'm going to see if you pick this guy, though. Who's your tight end sleeper? Uh, Blake Jarwin. Okay, yeah, so it's not it's one. not Anthony Fersker with no job. I, mean, I don't even know if he's a sleeper anymore because I mean he's the guy. Okay, I like yeah. this. I like this. I think uh, that. I mean, you're drafting you're drafting him still fairly late. No one is like buying all into this. I, I think Ferkser's fine. Uh, I just think Jarwin's kind of the forgotten commodity. I'm saying this because I got him in the last. I think it was my last pick in that Rotowire draft or second to last pick. We had to draft kickers. So. Um, uh, just look, I mean, the tight end's going to see heavy usage in Dallas. Dak Prescott, turns out he's a very good quarterback when he's in the locked and upright position. Um, I like, a, there's a lot to like about this. And uh, and I think he'll be heavily targeted. And the guy that you can, like, if, if you miss out on the top tier and you're out there, you know, sloshing through the shallow part of the sea of mediocrity, he might rise above that. Yeah, I Blake Jarwin, if he finishes tight end 12, it won't shock me at all. If I project him to be tight end 12 in my rankings, it won't shock me at all. He feels like a perfect low-cost guy where you have historical usage at the position for that offense. You have a good quarterback. Right. You have a defense that has gotten better, but it's still going to take some time. I don't still think bad. they're suddenly going to be like world-beating and make it so that Dak Prescott isn't still having to put the team on his back. And they paid Blake Jarwin. I think people really forget that they paid Blake Jarwin. Yep. Like he's getting like yep. millions upon millions of dollars a year. He's another guy with, I know we're talking redraft, but I'll just really quick dynasty note. Blake Jarwin might be on your waivers, depending on how deep your dynasty league is because of that injury. You need to check and go get him. And then if he's not, go get Adam Troutman. Cause that's another guy that might weirdly be on your waivers.
Yeah, he's, yeah no, for, no, you're, you're definitely right. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, I think, with Jameis. I mean, if, if Jameis takes the field, I think that could be mm-hmm. an yeah, interesting one. Better, for sure. If he's, I have a, I have, I like Troutman a ton. So like if he's, if he, I have him as high as seven, as low as like 18. I liked him the first time I saw him when he was Dan Arnold. Dan, Dan Arnold. How, okay. How about Dan Arnold? So what, like, I think he's a good sleeper too. The landing spot. Look, I, yeah, uh, I don't like the landing spot. I'm like, I'm like five years ahead on some of these guys. Will Disley is, yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Battle action. Yeah. Right. So, so as someone who did like a deep dive on Ian Thomas and was like, Hey, this is a guy you can get for basically nothing who could be partnered with Teddy Bridgewater, who might throw to the tight end. Yeah. You know, he, he's done some with his, and it was like, it was, well, Dan it was, Arnold was a little more though athletic downfield, right? So he's a receiver. I mean, he was a receiver in yeah. college too. So, I mean, and he, you know, out of um, UW Platteville. So, yeah. I mean, he's a guy that is going to be deployed at like at receiver. He's not a tight end. Like yeah. he is, that, he is very not very much it, not. It'll be interesting, but I think there's some other guys that you can still get. Yeah, 100%. 100%. We're, we're dark awesome. um, That's a so real like, big dart. For me, I got to I gotta see where his ADP lands. But Jared Cook in Los Angeles. Yeah, for half a year. It's like, I, for me, I think he could be someone that gets a lot of touchdown. Like Donald Parham shares. I hate that. <sighs> Yeah, oh, yeah, I, I, would, I wanted Parham to be a thing. I really did. I think everybody did. You kind of have to root for that too, right? Yeah, I would I would agree. All right, Bob. DST. Who is the DST that you're going to be targeting late? Because oh, why not? Let's talk about some defense. Let's talk about some kickers. Um, I don't know. If I'm going late, I mean, I, I don't know how late is late, but I think the Patriots are going to be a lot better and they were lousy last year and people are going to forget that like 8,000 guys opted out. And that some of them will be back, and they've spent a lot of money, by the way, in case you hadn't noticed. Uh, so, you know, and and just as an aside, I'm told their coaching staff is really good. I hadn't heard that. I thought they, I thought they were like some new guys, some like up and comers. I didn't yeah. know they were. I okay. I'll have to keep an eye out on their coach. Um, maybe he'll have a Hall of Fame career. We'll see. But all joking aside, I think it's also important you talk about like all the guys who opted out, all the guys who are coming back. That includes their best player on defense yep. who was out for the entire season. Uh, Angelo, DST, you're targeting late. Man, I don't know if it's late because honestly, I, I don't – Late enough. I don't play in a lot of leagues that have DST. But the one I'm targeting everywhere is the Denver Broncos. I mean, I, I mean, for, I mean, I like Fangio in Chicago. Big fan. Um, they add a fuller. Uh, they get a healthy Miller, you know. They have, you know, they they spent their first round pick on a corner. They have a really good secondary. They have a, a, a elite pass rusher. I mean, I'm kind of all in on the Denver defense if I'm drafting. Um, my my home league's actually one with DST, so they're they're I'm definitely targeting the Broncos there. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting like them. The Cleveland Browns are going to be a really good DST this year. Yeah, and that's why I'm not sure they'll end up being a sleeper. But yeah, I, they're I definitely someone, not a sleeper, but I think there's someone you have to target for sure. They're going to be pretty high end. Um, but yeah, I think the Broncos are one of mine. That, I don't think they're like a true sleeper, but I I think they're going to, they, they'll do better than return value. Yeah. Real quick, possibly spicy take. Bob, Angelo, 
Would it shock you if Cleveland was actually the better fancy defense than the Pittsburgh Steelers, their division rivals? Because I think there's maybe some pieces that are falling <clears> apart <throat> in that defense. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. I don't expect it, but it wouldn't shock me. Because Pittsburgh, I mean, they're the, the bar is so high. So, Okay, Angelo, what about you? Any thoughts? Uh, no, it wouldn't really shock me. I mean, I think with the pass rushers, the pass rushers that Cleveland has now, it's, I mean, sacks that's really it. Right. So, I mean, I, I think if, I think we're talking about defense, it's going to get a lot of sacks. Um, it's going to force turnovers. So it wouldn't shock me at all. I think the Steelers have for whatever reason struggled to stay healthy. So I think that's the big, you know, the big factor there. All right. Well, let's get into the last one of the evening an area that fantasy lovers just, it's the thing that gets us ready for the draft, the position we love the most. Of course, the kicker. Uh, Angelo, who is your kicker sleeper? Oh, my gosh. Kicker sleeper? Kicker sleeper. Because I've got um, one. Oh, man. Does Cairo Santos count as a sleeper? Well, he's got the job, so yes. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, take yeah. him. I mean, I mean <laughs> – I think I play in I think I play in one league with the kicker, but he's I I, I like I like Carlos Sanders. He, you know, I I think as a Chicago Bears fan, um watching him and compared to every other kicker we've had and a thank you that won't hit the post. Thank you for that. It's funny because I was actually at that game sitting behind Eagles fans, and I kid you not, that sound of it hitting the post was the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. That, it was terrifying. It was really, it was a very bad few days after. Um, but hopefully we don't have a kicker that hits the post. But yeah, I think the Bears are going to be a higher scoring offense this year than they were in years past. The only issue is they have a really tough slate of games. Um, yeah. But that, they're not actually be good for the kicker position too because they might not be, you know, like resident opportunities might turn into kicking opportunities. So, and we'll I see. think if you have Justin Fields running that offense, you could have a high-powered offense that yep. hits a couple weird roadblocks, which is a good recipe Bingo. for kickers. Yep. Uh, Bob, who you got as your kicker sleeper? Um, so I guess I'll go. I, yeah, there's a couple Tyler Bass. I mean, you know, I think playing him alongside Buffalo, but the problem there is the weather. So have at least part of the year. So I'll go with the guy who the weather won't be an issue and Ryan suck up. Um, uh, just uh, seeing Tom Brady talking today about how. He struggled to learn the playbook until very late in the year. This offense might have room to grow. And I, that's all I'm looking for in a kicker, right? Guy with a really good offense. I think Tampa Bay's offense is going to be pretty damn good this year. Yeah, for me personally, it has to be the only kicker that was taken in the 2021 draft. That was Evan McPherson taken by the Cincinnati Bengals, who had Randy Bullock as like kicker one in fantasy for a serious stretch of the 2020 season. It's a high-profile, uh, it's a high-powered offense, not a great defense, plenty of opportunity. Again, like, you know, Joe Burrow out there throwing the ball 60 times a game, like McPherson might get a chance to kick a field goal like four or five times a game because, like, they just can't quite get it there. Um, so he's he's someone that really intrigues me, especially because, like, there's people who aren't going to know who he is in your draft. And so if you're drafting kickers, like, that could be someone like why spend any draft capital at all on Justin Tucker, where you could get someone with a ton of opportunities for literally your last pick in the draft. I just realized I'm wearing my flex shirt somewhere. Jake Seeley can like sense that we're talking about. <laughs> he's really pissed off. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully he's not too upset, but hopefully he tuned in. Cause I would love it. If Mr. Seeley 
watch this show. And I'm glad so many people did tune in to watch this show because you guys have been phenomenal guests. It has meant so much to have you guys on. You are both like part of what I love about doing this show is I get to bring on people who are way smarter than me and mostly listen to them talk. And then I get to learn while doing something that I love and I get to share it with some awesome people. So again, thank you guys so much, Angelo. Why don't you go ahead, plug some upcoming content that you got, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah. First man, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you and Herms reaching out, man. I, I truly do. It's, it's been a ton of fun. And Bob, man, you're just, you're, you're a pioneer brother. I mean, it's been awesome chatting with you and chopping it up. Um, and you can find me, you know, at angelanalysis.com or on Twitter at Angelo underscore fantasy, man. It's, it's, it's a fun time of year, you know, kind of finishing up the rookie draft profiles, uh, getting those out. Um, I know Kenneth Gainwell, Elijah Moore, and Trey Seven are probably be the next three that come out. Um, and I'm excited to keep those going then dive into some of the 2022 and 2023 prospects for Debbie. Awesome. Awesome. And then Bob, I mean, as Angelo said, you are a pioneer. You are a legend. It means the world to have you on the show. Cannot thank you enough, especially coming straight from your other show. <laughs> Where can the people find you if for some reason they don't already know? And what you got coming up? Uh, as a pioneer, I have my covered wagon parked out to the side, and we will jump <laughs> it there. Um, no. uh, it's great. Uh, you had a great time. Nice to meet you, Angelo. Uh, the, the thing about this industry <clears throat> that keeps it interesting and exciting is just the uh, – number of really smart people who I run across every single time I turn around. And uh, if I could pick my 30 pound cat up and swing him around, I would hit one, I'm sure. Um, but no, th this is a, this is what I love about this is meeting people who really put a lot of thought into this. Uh, I'll be uh, on the Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio uh, most every day. Uh, it's hard to escape me, so I apologize for that. You can find me at footballdiehards.com as well. I'm working on our magazines right now. 32nd year of the Fantasy Football Pro Forecast. Uh, the Football Diehards, I think this is where over 20 years of that magazine. Well over 20 years on the cheat sheets and the draft books. So we're doing a full slate of magazines this year after last year, kind of dialing back to two. So uh, that's an ongoing project. And follow me on Twitter at Football Diehard. Awesome. I'm, I'm not even in my 32nd year of being me. So like that is just, that is beyond impressive to say the least. <laughs> you and me both, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I am your host, McLateral, aka at McLateralFF on the Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me at our blog, which is thelateralff.com. You can find our latest written content there. You can find our videos on YouTube. You can find our audio on Spotify. This should go up on Spotify right now. We're running into just a slight technical hiccup there, uh, but we should be back on track. You'll definitely be able to find this on YouTube later though. And um, I think the thing we got really coming up over at the lateral is we're going to get some, hopefully not way too early, but definitely way too early rankings out for redraft because that is our primary focus. So stay tuned for that. And then I have actually, I think some guests coming next week. Uh, I'm going to vamp a little here because I really should have remembered that before getting to this point in the show. But they're so awesome that I couldn't forget to mention. I've got Cody from Real Deal Fantasy coming in and Chris Robin, aka Detroit Beastie from Fantasy Twitter. So that's going to be next week. Keep an eye out for that. But again, thank you guys so much for coming on. Absolutely. It's been a blast. And I think that is it. And with that, we're out. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly variety hour ish with